0: Welcome to Amato's fifth quarter podcast. Listen to incredible conversations with former high-profile AFL, A League, and NBL players who discuss their lives and respective professional sporting careers. Previous guests welcomed on the podcast include Dustin Fletcher,
1: Al Green. Travis Dahl, Everybody. Carson
0: Edwards, Brett Dale Pickett,
2: Kevin Brooks, Jack
0: Fitzpatrick, Joe McDonald, Dan Jacobs,
2: Calvert,
3: Marcus Burns, Jamie Spaglethoff. Andrew Vlahov, Graham Corn, Brian Curl, Jason Echamanis. Chris McAdams. Mike Ellis. Kevin Lynch, Matt Smith. Michael Wilson.
2: Brendan Tees, Jordan McMahon. Brett Burt. Matt Shanahan. Rupert Stathwell. Dusty Rackard. and Gibson.
1: Ricky O'Loughlin. Dylan Addison.
0: Links to all previous episodes are down below for your listening pleasure. But without further ado, let's get into this next episode of Amato's Fifth Quarter. They've
2: got a brand new stadium, a big one, and they're going to put a big flag up there in a moment. Because the Eagle has landed for the Premiers in 2018. There it is. Brisbane have won it. The Orange Order is restored. It took just one season of transition for Brisbane Roar, Premiers, now title winners, champions of Australia. The 17 year drought is over. All hail the Kings. Sydney, the NBL 22 champions. 3 0 sweep. They win it. 97 to 88.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, let's go, let's go, let's go! Welcome to another episode of Amato's Fifth Quarter. I'm your host, Dan, and episode 34 today, we'll be joined by former AFL player of the Western Bulldogs and the GWS Giants, we've got Dylan Addison joining us. So, Dylan Addison, growing up in Picnic Point in Sydney's southwest, Dylan played AFL from a very young age in a predominantly rugby league-centric town and at one point was one of just a handful of young kids playing Australian rules at school. He was good enough to get onto the Western Bulldogs senior list ahead of the 2006 AFL season, where he played alongside the likes of Brad Johnson, Chris Grant, Luke Darcy, Scott West, and Rowan Smith early in his career, and takes us through the experience and knowledge he gained from some of the club's all-time greats. After being in and out of the team early in his career, we delve into his season-ending injury in 2008, which halted some of his progression, as well as being part of that squad at the Western Bulldogs that got so close but so far on so many occasions. He did play in the 2010 preliminary final loss to St Kilda and talks to us about the disappointment of being so close yet so far from that ultimate football occasion. After eight seasons at the Bulldogs, we discuss his disappointment in parting ways with the club and eventually joining his new hometown club in the GWS Giants where he'd spent two seasons assisting the development on and off the field of some of the club's younger talent, who, if you remember, at that time, 2014, was their third season in the competition and had a squad built primarily of just 18, 19, 20-year-olds. So he certainly played a pivotal role in sort of upskilling them and fast-tracking their development, as well as his role now at the club as welfare and player development manager, the very important role that he still has down there at the GWS Giants. So from 2006 to 2015, he played 93 games of top-level AFL, he scored 30 goals, and he was a pre-season premiership player in 2010. So he's a great man, great chat, interesting conversation. Let's bring him on, let's get it underway, from the Western Bulldogs and the GWS Giants, Dylan Addison.
2: Off hands, here's Addison, he started beautifully and look at that one, Addison kicks his third and the doggies are back in this game in a big one Addison, oh. Addison is going to have a ping from outside 50, maybe that's what they need, kick it
3: wrong He's one. taken by the dogs, Addison gets it, 60 metres out, how about his tackling moments ago, just moved from one man to the other But he's becoming an accomplished goal kicker, he's got four this afternoon
0: Welcome back to Amato's Fifth Quarter, and today we have the pleasure of being joined by former AFL player of the Western Bulldogs and the GWS Giants, Dylan Addison. Thank you very much for taking the time to come on the podcast. No no worries at all. Thanks for having us. Dylan, you played your last AFL game in in 2014 for the Giants, nearly 10 years ago already. What have you been up to since hanging up the boots, and and what are you doing these days post-football?
1: Yeah, so your last AFL game 2014... Snuck in another sneaky year in 2015 and then finished up at the back end of that year. And then transitioned from 2016 into a well and player development role of the Giants. I've been doing that since 2016, so that's seven years now. And basically been doing that, yeah, for, since my post-career. So I haven't moved too far. Obviously, I haven't moved out of the industry, um, but I haven't moved too far away from the locker room. I'm, my office is about probably 10 metres away from it now. So, yeah, haven't moved too far, but in saying that, you can be, if you're not in the locker room, you can be near the other side of the world away from it in terms of being out of the football environment as a player even being this close you can sort of feel how away from it you are because it's a different environment inside that locker room certainly enjoying what I'm doing now certainly involved in the AFL industry and the giants
0: so your role what exactly do you do like, how do I say what's your job description per se
1: it's working with all the players across the whole their whole career length so it's probably easiest to explain in terms of a, a career lifespan for an AFL footballer. So in terms of starting out, it's, it's looking after their onboarding, whether they're 18 year old folks out of a draft or mature age players, what that looks like in terms of transitioning to the club and, and Sydney from living arrangements to well, lifestyle to, you know 18 year olds and, and they're living at home for the first time. It's I have a philosophy of putting them into, the, into, into housing with each other rather than host families to build those independent life skills from day one. In their first year so it's looking after the onboarding of players selling them in sydney when they establish themselves and, and get comfortable within the elite athlete program that we're running to start to think about life outside of football challenging around transition post-career so through those middle years it's all right football's under control or, or life's under control let's let's put it out and look look to the horizon and, and see what see what's next so it's about just challenging around that and getting them thinking about that and taking some action on those pieces and, and then yeah, obviously yeah, the, the transition post-career as well, helping out players through that period along with the AFL Players Association, you play a big role in that part of it. And that's probably yeah, in a nutshell probably where I look at it in terms of the lifespan of, a, of an AFL footballer. It's a job I love and a job I've been doing for, for a while now and I, I guess I probably really like the variety of stuff you do, you can be, you walk into a, into the tropics day thinking I've got to do these half dozen things and there's a few Spanish here and there for that come from different players. And, families and and, um, coaches and whatnot in the environment. So enjoy that variety as well of of what you get faced with every day.
0: That part of it's very interesting because you you would know yourself growing up in in Sydney and having to move away to Melbourne to play football. What is that like for an 18-year-old having to move interstate when I I would assume you don't know anyone or or don't know many people, having to adjust to to life as an AFL footballer away from your comfort zone? That's something that as fans we probably Mm -hmm. don't think of too much, but you would have a I imagine a good insight into that
1: yeah yeah, 100 percent. and you know as fans i say we as as i watching the footy as well we you see what happens on a on on the weekend and that's that's a big part of of what the players do but there's also another six days of the week that they've got to get through and the challenges as you mentioned around players that do move uh, away from family and their, their baseline support network which being a club based in in sydney we have a high percentage of players that relocate to us, so they move away from a lot of their support networks So it's about building those foundations for each player, as they, and also bringing their family along with the, the journey as well. It's exciting for the players, but equally, if not more exciting for the family. So we certainly celebrate that with the broader family groups as well. Yeah, but there's always some some challenges that that come with all players. It's and a lot of people think that AFL football footballers are superheroes, but they're no different to the general population and. They're not immune to any other challenges that 18 to 30-year-old male would, would experience just outside of the AFL industry. So yeah, they don't come with any other tips and, and tricks and any other superhero-like attributes. They're just normal people as well. So they hit the same challenges as, as everyone else. Yeah,
0: that's so true. So taking you back to the start, you, you as we mentioned, you are a New South Wales boy. You did grow up in, in Western Sydney. And if my research is correct, you grew up in a place called Picnic Point. Could you give the listeners a bit of an insight into your upbringing? You know, your family life and and sort of when your love of football started.
1: Yeah, so I grew up in Picnic Point, Southwest Sydney, like most other young kids around that that area. Played a lot of sport. Played the cricket. Played a lot of soccer as well early days, and then just got to an age where I got a bit over the soccer. And, and my old man, he had a bit of a connection with footy in terms of AFL, just playing Super Rules in Sydney. So. Yeah, went over to the local AFL club, the old, the Bankstown Bombers, which I think are now the Bankstown Bullshark. and played there from under 12s through to under 16s. When I first started there, I reckon we had probably under 10s, 12s, 14s and 16s. That was, that was the age groups. But now they've got, I think, you know, 8s, 9s, 10s, 11s, 12s, 13s, the whole year group. So in terms of going the game in Sydney, I've certainly seen that over the last 20 years. But yeah, grew up around there, played a junior footy there, and, and then it was just the pathway at that time in the mid 2000s was play rep football and play with the new south wales act rams and get a bit of exposure there on the national platform at the national carnival and that was it i was lucky enough to get get drafted down to the bulldogs as an 18 year old back in the end of 2005.
0: as we've mentioned earlier you mentioned a lot of gws players are relocate or have had to relocate being in Sydney was AFL big in terms of participation back then. Obviously, it's a very strong rugby league in Union Town. Were there many other kids back then playing AFL?
1: No, I went to school out in St. Greg's down in Campbelltown, which is a, a great rugby league school. A lot, of, a lot of great footballers, rugby league players, have come out of there. And I reckon there was me and probably three or four other people that played AFL, oh, junior wow. AFL, and, and two of those are my brothers. So, so yeah, obviously, different environment. Obviously well documented, everyone knows that. It, but it's not the back then AFL was was a, a much smaller than it is than it is today in terms of participation and exposure. So it wasn't too much of a going around the school. We actually used to play kick to kick in in the schoolyard, and the regular league blokes would just be like, "How the hell are you jumping?" And "What are you doing jumping into each other in the air?" They just couldn't get their head around it. So yeah, and it was, it was certainly a minority back then. But yeah, we, I think I actually played one school game of footy before I finished up in year twelve. It was. It was starting to get going um, at the back end of my schooling years. So I think we've actually now got an AFL team out at St. Greggs. But yeah, certainly growing up and coming to a school, we were in the minority. But in saying that, we um, we certainly had fun. And it wasn't sort of a... Didn't cop too much flack for it <laughs> from, the, from the other lads. So yeah, we certainly were a minority growing up in, in Southbridge, Sydney, playing football.
0: So rugby was never of interest to you?
1: Oh, I was too tall and skinny for that. I tried to, try to <laughs> run around them, but... <laughs> I played a little bit here and there. To be honest, it probably, you know, obviously exposes you to a bit more physicality than the rules would. Obviously, a was much more athletic and aerobic game, but I think that probably helped me in good stead in terms of transitioning into into AFL environment, having that bit of more of a physical upbringing, I guess, in terms of the sport. And I guess probably the addition to that is, you know, we don't have obviously have a, a TAC Cup under-18s competition, so as a 16, 17-year-old, I was playing first grade footy at St George in the Sydney Football League, so against men from, from under 16s and 17s. So I think that in terms of building a base, in terms of the physical side of, of football, that probably held me in good stead and, and helped the transition going into an AFL system. Having haven't played against men before, because a lot of guys come out of the TAC Cup and, and, and then being exposed to an AFL level of playing against men, they're doing that for the first time. So although it's probably not as great a standard of football as TAC Cup, I think playing that physical against bigger bodies from a younger age certainly played to my, my strength in terms of, of what I could bring.
0: So, was that where you felt you were potentially good enough to actually make it onto an AFL list?
1: Yeah, I think so. I, to be honest, I didn't really think about it. It was just playing footy and enjoying it, and, you know, rep team would come up and, and get involved in that. And it wasn't until probably, you know, leading up to the draft. And I was lucky enough to go to draft camp, had a couple of interviews there, but I didn't really think much of it. I was still studying and, and had the view of, of going to uni somewhere and doing something wasn't sure what but and then yeah what's the draft and i think we were, it wasn't or wasn't televised in sydney i was just on the internet and just refreshing the screen and seeing them pop up every half a dozen names just pop up and then popped up western bulldogs and mum and dad thought i was going to western australia yeah to reassure on that it's just down to down to west melbourne and then we went from there
0: so you were picked 27 to the bulldogs what are your memories of that first sort of pre-season and your emotion when you actually made it onto an AFL list? Good
1: question. It was obviously a while ago now, but I remember it was a bit of a blur, really. I remember travelling down there. I actually was lucky enough. Rocket E was the coach there and he gave me the all-clear to go away to schoolies for the week before I went down there. So I was able to get a bit of closure up in Sydney with school friends and family, which was really good. So... Back in the day the his cruise was running so i went away on this cruise for 10 days with all my schoolmates and whatnot and it was good fun knowing what was coming when when i was obviously departing sydney when i returned heading down there so that was a really good in terms of closure so i was very grateful for that went down there and moved in with adam cooney in his spare room for the first or well, the pre-season which was good fun pucky said and he showed me the ropes but more facets of life and then I moved in with a host family roy and jan fierce I'm forever indebted to for what they did, not only for me, for my family as well, in, in terms of uh, uh, helping me out in that first year, finding my feet in Melbourne. And that's probably, yeah, that's in, in a nutshell my, my first year. And the training, I remember you know, thinking to now what we do as a football program in terms of individualizing training, you had to get in there and just jump on and, and catch up and, and get to the level. It wasn't sort of, here's the player, let's build a program around them. It's, today we're doing six one Ks or whatever it is. And everyone's doing it from the ruckman to the first-year players. It's just hang on for dear life as, as long as you can. So certainly, obviously well, obviously, wasn't playing in the 80s and 90s, and, but even in the last 15 years, how far the sport science um, and that part of it has gone and conditioning and, and individualising programs, it's certainly advanced in, in terms of what they do in the training, individualisation and periodisation that they run. Back then,
0: the Bulldogs had a very strong core of experienced players. You had like Brad Johnson, Scott West, Rowan Smith, Luke Darcy, coached by Rocket Eat, as you said. Did you uh, have much to do with those guys
1: leading into those
0: first couple of seasons in the AFL? A
1: little bit. I got along. I was good friends with Bobby Murphy. Um, I remember spending a lot of time with him early days, Daniel Jones for Accuser. I think a lot of those guys finished up in my first couple of years. I think D'Arce finished up, Chris Grant finished up.
0: Chris Grant's another
1: one. Yeah, but I was lucky enough to play in a couple of their milestone games, which which is great from Brad Johnson. Yeah, his record-breaking game or games against, I think it was Adelaide, I think, from memory. Obviously, at that age, uh, you know, you're pretty impressionable when you're just sort of going along for the ride and, and learning where you can off them. But they were, you know, some great leaders to come into and obviously a club with a stack of history. And that's probably ingrained in you from, from day one to learn about the club. And fast forwarding to now, it's something that I'm trying to develop with our, with our playing group and, and players coming in as well. It's, you know, we've been in the in the system and the club has been in the force system for coming up to 12 years, 12 years now. But we've got a, you know, a relatively short history compared to all of the clubs, but certainly something that we want to celebrate and enjoy those special moments that we've had over the 12 years. So, you know, learning from what I did from a club with a big history in terms of length, now trying to develop that into a the newest club in the AFL is something I'm certainly enjoying and learned from from a club by the Western Bulldogs.
0: And I think it's pretty underrated quality within a club to always recognise the history and the players that have, you know, worn the jumper before you, like paved the way before you. Is that something that when you've got a younger club that's only 12 years old, you've really got to establish that to understand how proud you should be to, to put on that jersey? Yeah,
1: certainly that understanding... Western Sydney and where they're playing and, and their backyard, but also understanding the history of where the club came from in day one. You know, it's well documented the draft picks and compensation that the club had for a couple of years early on. But the challenges they had off field in terms of facility and where they were training was oh, it was uh, some huge challenges. From training on baseball diamonds for the first pre-season to not having a gym, and, wow. and it was scattered across Western Sydney for the first couple of years. But if the young kids then, they didn't know any better, so they just did it. It wasn't until the, the older guys that, that came over, that mature age players, thinking, what the hell are we doing here? But the young guys didn't know any better, so they were going on for the ride. They were based out of Rudy Hill RSL. The boys had to get compensation to, because a lot of them were under 18, to get into the RSL every day to train. They'd be doing handball games and, and, and whatnot, handball drills and meetings in the meeting spaces there. and. There's a famous story there at 11 o'clock every day, obviously the last post would come on and everyone had to, the meetings would stop. Everyone would get up, take the hats off and, and do their thing. And that happened just day in day out, based at Ruiz RSL. So there's a lot of challenges for the club generally early on. And that's a lot of the history that I sort of try and impart on those guys certainly coming in and staff as well to, to understand where we've come from and celebrate where we are now, really. It's based at Olympic Park in a, in a great facility and without having achieving what we wanted to achieve on field we'll certainly have some some great moments as well
0: considering the club you know obviously the first couple of years were pretty tough but then they had a massive spike and made the top four 16 17 grand final a few years later that for them to be able to achieve that having such hard initial years that's that's very impressive
1: yeah it was it got big reasonably quick you know in 2016 obviously fairly in final and and that probably surprised everyone and certainly probably a few internally as well to get there but It quickly became, that's the standard now, that's where we need to get to and, and, and I guess that bit of a taste of it for the, for the playing group then was great for what it led to for years after and as I said, obviously we didn't get to what we wanted to get to, but uh, it was a good taste for a few of those guys. I guess they were four, five, six years into their career for a lot of those guys.
0: All right, everyone, it's time for a quick break for three-quarter time here on A5Q. I want to talk about Cappuccinos, the perfect mobile cafe for your event catering needs. Established in 2019 in Adelaide, South Australia, Cappuccinos is our family business, here to provide you with freshly brewed, hot barista-made beverages on wheels, using locally roasted La Crema coffee beans with our preferred blend included for any event needs. Cappuccino's caters for weddings and engagements, sporting events, school, university and work functions and birthday parties, just to name a few. We pride ourselves not only on delivering warm, smooth and delicious coffee at a great price, but also fantastic professional customer service with a smile. If our customers walk away satisfied, it means our job has been done correctly. We also cater for meal deals including bacon and egg rolls, hamburgers and hot dogs upon request. If you're based in Adelaide and need catering for your next social event, book with Cappuccinos by visiting our website at www.cappuccinos.com, spelled C-U-P-P-A-G-I-N-O-S, link in the description below, or contact us directly via phone at 0418 894. 570 or email at cappuccinos at hotmail.com. And don't forget to like us on Facebook and help spread the word. Now that we have that out the way, let's get back to the show. So, going back to your first season, 2006, you only played the two games, but the next year you played half a season, and then 2008 when you started to become a bit more of a regular in the team. What do you think is the biggest hurdle from junior football into full time AFL? What did you find was the biggest challenge?
1: Oh, for me, oh, the biggest challenge for me was probably the mental side of the game. And, and if I look back on reflecting on the, on the career, which I don't, I don't sort of do too often. <laughs> My career isn't certainly one that you, you write a doco about or, <laughs> or get on a podcast about. So I was a bit surprised when you, when you gave us a call. <laughs> Thinking back on the career was more the, the mental side of the, Probably, if you're going to say you kind of regret about your career, it's putting more time into that uh, and understanding the, the importance of that Certainly, the, I guess, the performance psychology, psychology piece. And that was probably my, the biggest one of the challenges I had and, and probably what I see in terms of players and where they can get to the, some of the biggest hurdles. Now, there's enough recruiting analysis that gets done in terms of the physical and the skills attributes of players, but it's bringing it all together on game day and being able to back up week in, week out. And, I mean, Monday to Friday, week in, week out, it's probably the biggest challenge for the players. Yeah, so that's probably the biggest hurdle I see with a lot of players. Don't get me wrong, the training's hard. They, they train body hard, certainly over the summer and, and to work, get to work in, in the season as well. But it's probably that mental side that tends to hold a lot of players back.
0: You're too modest, still, and I, I genuinely I, did enjoy watching you play. And it's <laughs> great to have you on the podcast. Keeping it on that squad. So this era under Rocket Eid from 2008 to 2010, super strong experience list, Brad Johnson, Jason Akamanis, Gene Syracuse, Eagleton... Matthew Boyd, mm-hmm. Murphy, Cooney, list goes on. Now, those yeah. those 3 years in particular, 2008, 9 and 10, you finished 3rd, 3rd and 4th respectively. On all 3 occasions you fell short in preliminary finals. 08 to Geelong and then 9 and 10 to St Kilda. Now, I know you only played in one of those 3 prelims, but what do you think it was that stopped the club from breaking through and actually getting into a grand final because on all 3 occasions it was the same story, losing qualifying final, winning semi-final, And a losing prelim. It was a great contest. Hard fought. But Geelong, yet again.
2: Terrific win. Into the final, the
3: grand final next week. Seven points. Can the Dogs do something here? I doubt it. Time is going to beat them. And St Kilda are going to beat them. St Kilda to a grand
2: final. What a goal! There it is. Have a shot. It's all over. He will have a shot. The result is academic. We'll have a look and see. The Saints don't even get back and try and stop it. It's gone through. It changes the margin. It becomes 24 four points. But the Saints have won it. And as they did in 1966 when they won their only flag, they will play Collingwood next week.
1: Yeah, you're right. It was just copy paste for three years in terms of, you know, losing. And back then, it didn't have the buy before the, the the finals. So, if you won your first final, it was how was this week off? So, obviously, the the week off helped the players that were we played against in the in the prelim finals. But in terms of what held us back, I mean, yeah, you're right. I only, I only played in the 2010 prelim final. Oh, I only played the first 17 games and then did my knee, Mister. Back into the season and, and the finals, which I was—I got it out because I was, I was obviously my, my best year, and I was probably going to say breakout year. It was that was the year I was, I was getting going? And then yeah, missed most of the most of the twenty nineteen season, and then back in twenty ten. But in terms of what as a, as a team, yeah, I I honestly, I don't know because we're in we're in every game. It felt like, and yeah, there was just a couple of moments. That didn't go our way, whether it was the bounce of the ball or an umpiring decision or whatever. Yeah, it was just yeah, a couple of things that didn't go our way. And I can't remember what year we got Barry Hall, but there was, a, there was a lot of talk around just we need some other bit more power up forward. And that's probably thinking back, we were challenged in terms of hitting the scoreboard. We could certainly move the ball, we had a lot of pace and, and flare off the half back line and a lot of talent for the midfield. But in terms of hitting the scoreboard and capitalising on when we got the ball forward, it's probably uh, our. Not, not down to one thing, it's thinking back, that's what we one of the things that really challenged us. We had a really, really strong back line led by Brian Harris at the time, I reckon his name was. Yeah, um, yeah, Then right. became Brian Lake. Yeah, you know, Griff off the half back line and uh, I think Murph was down there at stages. Yeah, Lindsay Gilby. Um, Gilbs, who had, had a fair kick on him. Gilbs. Jared Harbrow, I think he was down there at that, at that stage as well. Ryan Hargrave, one of the very underrated defenders. Yeah, so I think probably, yeah, down, up forward we probably just lacked a bit of finishing off and, and making the most of, of those entries we had. To be honest mate, I don't <laughs> it was a while ago and I haven't really reflected back on it too much and at that time of my career I was just enjoying getting a game and, and taking it all in and giving it a red-off crack.
0: Do you ever think if you hadn't have got injured, you know, you would have played in the finals? Do you ever think about that? Oh yeah,
1: yeah, certainly, yeah, certainly at the time. and. It was disappointing and, and if you look back on your career, there was always little moments like, geez, that would have been nice if that happened or you know, or whatever, but it wasn't to be, so that is what it is. But certainly, I think we all do in life things, go it would have been nice if that... The toss of the coin there had gone my way, but a lot of the uh, industry is about just timing as well. There's no denying there's a bit of luck in this game as well, whether it's getting into the system, getting a game, making the most of that game, a lot, of, a lot of luck with injuries and, and things like that, which are certainly those contact issues which you can't really ultimately control. So there's an element of luck involved, certainly, I think anyway, in this game. It's about preparing yourself for dealing with those that, that don't go your way. So glass half full for me. Yeah,
0: I don't, I don't want to make this a nightmare, but I would like to talk to you about the 2010 preliminary final that you played in. Now, you, personally, yeah. you, you were having a, gr- a great game, particularly in that first half. You kicked a goal in the second quarter, and, and the Bulldogs go into halftime with their nose slightly in front. You mm. know, the underdogs against St Kilda, who are a great team, but they come out and pretty much completely dominate the second half, and you fall short for the third time in a row. Do you remember that particular game, and can you describe to the listeners what playing in a massive final is like in front of a big crowd. The second preliminary final, the winner to take on Collingwood, Saturday Night Footy from the MCG. Really been able to
2: break through that 50 metre arc and now under more pressure here from Addison. Yeah, well done by Addison and he keeps it alive and gives a man with a sharp left foot perhaps to have the shot, no Eagleton decides to retreat and it's Boyd, the setup is complete and now Mitch Hahn, the late inclusion, will be the man entrusted with the kick They certainly worked over Gilbert here, Addison now put him under a fair bit of pressure Free kick down the ground, going to John Syracuse, who delicately kicks to a man who's been very prominent so far, Dylan Addison with his role defensively, but also
0: giving them an extra avenue in attack.
2: His teammates love Dylan Addison because you just know exactly what you're gonna get from him. As much effort, as much competition, he's brave, went back with the flight here, did kick a big goal in the final at a crucial stage last week against the Swans. Played nine of the first eleven games this year, then didn't come back until very late in the season, but as Gar said a very well respected and popular member of his team and he's never been so popular as he is right
1: now. Yeah, it was obviously pretty special in from the Small career was, um, was was obviously the highlight outside of day building. and Yeah, it was big, it was noisy. Um, the week played against Collingwood and week one as well, pretty loud as well. That probably but, um, would have been a bigger
0: crowd, wouldn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah. It, well, you just feel it. But at the same time, once the, once the ball's bouncing, you're into it and the adrenaline's going, it's just uh, honestly just another game of footy. You don't really notice it. It's not until a, a stop in play or a moment where you, you can take a breath and and take it in that you go, oh, geez, um, there's a bit going on here. Yeah, certainly John, a lot of adrenaline going, enjoyable, fun. But I remember at the end of the game, it was, it was pretty gut-wrenching and, and certainly for all those players in the, in the room that were involved in three in a row and, and the extension of other coaches as well. Being involved in that was, was a bit of a challenge, certainly post-game. Certainly a lot of emotion in the room from, from all of the guys. Tough day, but looking back, certainly an, an enjoyable months of footy in terms of playing some finals football personally.
0: So when you lose a big final like that, do you particularly as a, I'm interested from a younger player's perspective, do you spend a lot of time ruminating on what could have been? Or because you're young, do you have that mentality of it's just going to, we'll get an upper, another opportunity next year? Because when you look at it in total, that was clearly the Bulldogs' last chance to win a premiership.
1: Yeah, and, and you're probably right. As a young young player you, and certainly being involved with the club from 06, we played finals seven we missed out and then eight nine ten we played in three prelims so i'm going geez in the first five years has been involved in four final series i thought well still another opportunity but obviously obviously not to be so you can't help but have those thoughts as a young player absolutely how do you sort of review it i guess it's probably it's hard because you don't want to sort of nut it down to one thing in the in the, the last game of the year that sort of dictates your next whole pre-season so you you sort of got to take the the game and respect it for what you need to do better, but the, the season in its entirety as well. And analyze, you know, well, what do we need to get better? Was it just structurally? Was it ball movement? What was it? Was the personnel look at the bigger picture stuff rather than just one specific game that's gonna dictate your, your season and what you need to get better at for, for the following season. But certainly as a young kid, I was like, oh yeah, we'll get an opportunity in finals. And then, yeah, rocket's gone. And then it's it's starting from baseline again.
0: So your career, you played 93 games but unfortunately it only produced three finals. Are you disappointed that you didn't get to play in more of those big moments?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Certainly disappointed, but there's there's not much you can really do as, a, as an individual. There are a lot of things you can control, and I, I certainly don't have any regrets in terms of the way i prepared physically. As I said, mentally, probably probably needed to do some more work there, but physically in terms of what I did and, and routine and, and, and giving it my all in terms of, one field and, and across the line I certainly don't have any regrets there so it's going to be what it will be really in terms of missing out on finals obviously I finished up in 2015 and then the next year Giants going and playing in a prelim final against the Old Dogs interesting watching that game I was like Jesus I'd have hung on for one more year and been half a chance to play that would have been pretty pretty cool but certainly that's not something I, I lose sleep over or anything like that I'm, I'm very grateful for getting the opportunity I did at, at the Western Bulldogs and, and, and setting my Career up in terms of an AFL football career and then transitioning it to still being involved in the industry. And, you know, I'm now 17 years post school and being involved in the AFL industry. Wife and a couple of kids. Life's good, so I'm not too worried about missing out on a few finals games here and there.
0: Yeah, 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 for sure. So after the success of 08 to 2010, the 2011 season was a big step backwards for the Bulldogs. You finished 10th that year. You personally only played the four games and Rodney Eade walked out before the end of the year. What was your relationship like with, with Rocket and how did you see his departure at that time?
3: But first, dog day's over for Rodney Eade with the veteran coach falling victim to the seven-year itch, the Western Bulldogs. He's the third AFL coach to be sacked this year, but will stay on until the end of the season after consulting the players. Ten senior football reporter Rob Waters is at Whitnoble. and Rob, did anyone see this coming? Oh, it was up in the air. It was a 50-50 call for the latter half of the season. Mel, but isn't it a tough caper, this coaching business? After three consecutive preliminary finals, it only took just one poor year for Rodney E to be told that they won't be renewing his contract. And I'm not shattered or angry, that's, that's what's going on. But I'm certainly disappointed, I'm bitterly disappointed. I think we've got a lot to offer. But the Bulldogs thought after seven years, his time was up and brought forward the decision on his future at Eid's request. And we just felt on, on reflection, no matter how difficult it's been, it's been bloody difficult. We just felt in our interest, it's time to find somebody else.
1: Relationship with Broca, I hear he certainly got the most out of all his players and, and me as well. He, was, he, was, he had a different style to a lot of coaches and probably one of the last of the real... Challenging coaches in terms of probably the the carrot and the stick, really. (laughs) That was the way he motivated players and and he he always had a a story each game and and got everyone up and about. It was, there was a lot of tactics going on. Very good tactical coach, certainly challenged us physically and vocally and topped a few sprays here and there, but that was, that was it. The best thing about Rocket was he'd give you some feedback and then he'd have a laugh, laugh with you about it during the week. And then you go again on the weekend. Yeah, loved his honesty. Yeah, that's a really good tactical coach. And then yeah, it sort of obviously finished up, and Paul Williams I think took over as the interim coach for the back end of the year. Yeah. Um,
0: and then so that and happened,
1: happened all pretty quickly, yeah. And then, and then Mather came along the following year, but that all happened pretty quickly. I think it was yeah, pretty late in the year anyway, from from memory. Yeah, but that was all all just a bit of a bit of a blur really. I vaguely remember Rocket talking to the group just before his departure, but that was my first experience as a as a coach finishing up. So I, was, I wasn't really sure what the the protocols are anyway you wait to the end of the year is this just the norm is four years five years into my career now it's just uh, this is the norm now a coach just finishes up and moves on the next one comes in i didn't know if there's any formalities to it like me to wait to the end of the year but that was probably one of my, mer- my first experiences understanding how volatile this industry is from both a player and and a staff member or coach
0: so the year after brendan mccartney enters the frame now he'd been at essendon the year before, but prior to that was a long-time assistant at Geelong, who as we know were, were an incredible side back then. I mean, they still are now, but but back then that club was was incredible. How did you see his entrance into the club?
1: Yeah, really positive, really positive entrance, and 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 come in, and obviously from a teaching background, was really strong on developing the, the fundamentals of the game and and learning the game from the contest out, from the contested ball, and the importance of that. He always used to say, when he's watching the game on TV, he wants to see more Bulldogs jumpers around the ball than, than the other team. He wants to see more pictures, you know, blue, blue jumpers in the screen than than the other jumpers. So really good at teaching the fundamentals of the game. Built some great foundations over those early years to the brand of footy that dogs probably paid during those mid-teens, early to mid-teens, about just winning the ball and then exploding from there and running in numbers. It was, yeah, he was certainly really good at building those foundations at the football club at that time, which was probably different to what we'd come from, which was just spread and take the game on and run with flair and excitement and take on and it'll, it'll be okay type mentality. There was a lot more structure around the football with matter.
0: Halftime break here on Amato's Fifth Quarter Podcast and I'd just like to take a moment to thank everyone who has tuned into the show. The support is very much appreciated and I hope this episode is finding you well. If you're enjoying the show, it would be a massive help if you could consider subscribing and leaving a rating and a review. Gaining as much positive feedback as possible helps feed the podcast algorithm and boost the show's visibility, which will therefore allow for other Australian sports tragics to see and listen to the show. Five stars, of course, would be fantastic, but I'll leave that up to you. Now, enough of that. Let's get back into it, because the second half of A5Q is about to get underway. So for you, 2012 was probably, along with 2008, your most consistent season, 17 games. You had a period of three games where you scored seven goals, and you were keeping your position in the team for the majority of the season. Did that coincide with Brendan McCartney coming in? Boyd to fall forward, Lake, it's always a chance, Lake. Richards at the back,
2: and Addison runs it through for a goal. And they've kicked four in the first quarter, something they haven't done since round one. Here's, they've got a couple of numbers back there, and Addison, last man standing, takes the mark. Just, just watch this. Kick one Addison. In fact, uh, last week, he's kicked three goals coming into this in his last two weeks, so he's got a bit of a roll going on, Addison. He's kicked his second.
3: Just jabs it in short. The man we were talking about just moments ago Addison takes the mark As Addison Comes inside the 50 In fact right on it That's a pretty good looking kick Has it got the distance? It has And the accuracy He's got three The advantage is taken by the dogs Addison gets it 60 metres out How about his tackling moments ago Just moved from one man to the other But he's becoming an accomplished goal kicker He's got four this afternoon Oh you've got to love it
2: well, he's kicked seven goals now in the last three weeks, Addison. They're all the goals yep. he's kicked this year, because he's a New South Wales boy, isn't
1: he? Yep. Yeah, I think that, so. and probably as I said, like his mentality of contested ball, foundation of the game. That was obviously my certainly my strength. I wasn't a player that had a heap of flair and skill and speed, but I was confident in the fact that I'd always be able to have a crack and, and, and um, run um my head over the ball, and that probably aligned with what we wanted at the, at the time in terms of the, the team. I found myself play, playing a um, defensive forward role, uh, yeah. And as you said, they're lucky to as a defensive forward if you're able to nullify your, your attacking defender and, and jump on the scoreboard, you, you laugh. And yeah, I found myself playing that role at that time, and, and, and things were, um, yeah, things were going well. So,
0: although things were, were going quite well for you personally that year, how do I explain? So this this period is very interesting because to put this in context, so. Brenton Sanderson, who had just gotten the job at the Adelaide Crows, he was also an assistant at Geelong. And in 2012, the Adelaide Crows and the Western Bulldogs were seen to be in a similar stage of development. But unfortunately for McCartney, the Bulldogs didn't have the same spike and they only won the five games, whereas Adelaide went into the top four and made a preliminary final. Now, I understand every club is different, but why was it you think Brendan McCartney possibly didn't have the same impact? Many assumed he would, considering the background he'd come from.
1: Yeah, I, I've said before, I probably, um, you know, you look at Adelaide at that time, and they were, they've always traditionally been a club that's been really strong in getting back, helping out defenders and, and, and running and winning that contested ball. As I said, for us, it was all it was all very new. You know, we knew contested ball was important, but it was more just learning around, well, where do I actually run? And... And the importance of coming back and helping out a mate, which is a very new to a lot of players on the list at the time. So that year was certainly a big learning year for the greater group. And I reckon, you know, we had a bit of turnover as well with players, obviously finishing up after uh, Rockets era. And traditionally a new coach comes in, there's going to be a lot of younger players at play, you know, exposing them to the game while there's a new coach and a new game plan coming on. So, you know, we had a few new, younger players playing and it was just new to a lot of players. And I reckon, Looking back, Adelaide probably had a bit more exposure to that stronger contested ball nature. They, they traditionally always had some big body players in there that were really good at that facet of the game. So probably a little bit more prepared with that, but we can probably pull apart the whole season and, and go through game by game of why we didn't win. But yeah, thinking back, that's probably my two cents worth anyway. So the year after
0: the 2013 season was a step in the right direction for the club. You personally played just over half a season, but at the season's end, you, you departed the club. How did that process work and, and how did you feel at that time?
1: Yeah, to be really honest, I was gutted at the time. I, I was pretty confident that I'd get another go. My career, two year contract, my first draft, and then had eight one year deals. They were all signed at the back end of the year. So Oh, really? I was very accustomed to, after my first two years, of, or after my first year, I was playing on the last year of my contract, playing, on, playing each and every week, thinking, I don't know what's going on at the end of the year. So, I was very accustomed to that by the time I got to my eighth, ninth, tenth season. But I was felt confident, had some good conversations, and personally, and and with with the manager. And yeah, it didn't fall my way at the end of the week and uh, end of the year, and had the phone call to come in and, and have a chat. And yeah, it was an offer a contract. And I think luckily, I'm not sure when it came in, but luckily at that stage the delisted free agency had had come into play. So then it's just about the. Managers and whatnot getting on the phone and, and seeing what opportunities are out there as a delisted free agent, as a club doesn't have to use a draft pick to, to pick you up, it's a lot more attractive for them to look at players like like myself. was a club wouldn't have wasted a draft pick on picking me up, but if you can get them for nothing and, and they can add to your list as a as a mature player, you're away. So that's talking about the game moving forward and free agency and what it can bring to the to the game. It's great for those top end players, free agency, but it also gives an opportunity for longevity in the game for, for guys that are in my position, sort of in and out of games that can, can offer something to a club, but the clubs can basically get them for free really. Yeah, so that finished up with the Dogs, disappointingly, but yeah, opportunity come up with Leon and the Giants, obviously having known Leon, he was an assistant coach at the Dogs when I first came and him obviously taking over at the Giants that year. Yeah, I was lucky enough to get picked up as a delisted free agent. Coming back to Sydney where obviously I grew up and and playing for the club was essentially my backyard. It was quite fascinating to come back and be playing at an AFL club eight years ago. I was leaving it thinking there's no AFL here in, in South West Sydney, in mean, Western Sydney, and it was the Swans or, or nothing. And now to come back and being involved and playing at a, a club in my backyard, it was something pretty special for me personally. And I guess the extension of that is, is still working at the club and being involved in it. It's something I'm, I'm quite passionate about.
0: When you left the Bulldogs, did you ever have any ill feeling towards the club?
1: Ah, uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I was I was gutted at the time. If I'm going to be honest, yeah, I was I was because it was what me and my partner had, had known and we, we set up down there and, and whatnot. And yeah, I said it was a really positive positive year in terms of personal career and, and the club generally, moving in the good direction and whatnot. And I was quite comfortable and settled down there, so it was a, it was a real spanner that was thrown in there, but. Again, class half forward didn't turn out your way. It's just got to uh, move on to the next piece of the next opportunity. And, and that's in terms of the role I do now with players and having lived and breathed it, the volatility of the industry year in, year out on one year deals and having that uncertainty certainly holds me in good stead with dealing with players and, and the experiences that they might be having throughout their career, whether it's relocating away from family and friends or dealing with selection pieces, injury the pressures about what's next for life after football, as I said. One year deal, so I always had one eye on what was next. So I studied throughout my career, finished a bachelor degrees in exercise science. I'm over my career. So having that balance of applying myself outside of football was something I was really strong on and something I'm certainly pushing with our with our players to grow off field as a person and the importance of that really. Because if you make it to thirty in this um, game you're doing pretty well and you've still got a fair bit of work life left before you, you hit the superannuation mark. <laughs> when you're always
0: on one year deals, does, does it make you actually work harder in terms of your study and, and, and obviously your football, or does it create stress?
1: Both, absolutely both. Stress, but then I saw the outlet of study or play the heavy guitar and, and love my music, so working all those hobbies and outlets and things like that, the importance of those. As a player, just to, just to switch off and take your mind away from that stress. And it probably took me a few years to really get used to that and have the mindset of, hey, this very well may be my last round 12 game in the alcohol industry. So let's just enjoy it. Hey, this may well be my last weight session I do with this group. Yeah, um, right. Let's just enjoy it. So it was probably around five or six that I started to think, let's just enjoy it. It'll be what it'll be. I've got comfort in what I'm doing outside of footy the next phase of my life. If you've got comfort in that area of your life, you can really enjoy and, I guess, give yourself the best chance to flourish as a footballer. It's when the players just ignore it and think that it'll be okay or it'll work out, but that when it becomes to the end, they start scrambling, thinking, geez, this could be all, end and all over pretty soon, and you haven't got any comfort in what's next or, or, or what your life looks like, and comfort in what that baseline scenario is, that's when, you, as you said, you can get a bit of that stress. Then that can start coming.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting perspective. So the GWS time, so 2014, obviously, when you come to the club, that year in particular, it's evident they really wanted to inject some experience onto their list. So it was only their third year in in the competition. They brought in Heath Shaw, Josh Hunt, Shane Mumford, Jed Lamb, and yourself. After being on a pretty experienced list at the Bulldogs for most of your time there, a club that was consistently making finals for the most part, what was it like going to a club with so many players several years younger than you, and was that in any way difficult to adjust to?
1: Yeah, it was, um, I mean, those, that group of players there were very, very different in terms of what we've done in their careers, but 100% walking to that club, I was immediately this feeling of like, like you're a leader and you've got to drive a younger group. And uh, I think I certainly did that from the Monday to Friday perspective uh, and preparing for the game and challenging players and I'm a very structured person so we enjoyed that part of it. You know, at that time we had a lot of talented players coming onto the list at the Giants, so it was that harnessing that talent and, and getting it playing in a structured way that can win eight or four games of football. So obviously I only played a handful of games for the, for the club over the two years, but in terms of leading and growing the growing the the playing group from Monday to Friday perspective, I certainly felt from day one, just seeing how the guys interacted and and trained and and applied themselves Monday to Friday. There was some huge growth growth areas there, because obviously the demographic of the group was largely 18 to 20 year olds uh, at that stage. Thinking back, it was as quick as I was getting the the tap on my shoulder from Robert saying, no, we're just going to go with a bit more experience this week in in this game, so you're going to miss out. It was like the click of the fingers and it was like, no, we're just going to go a bit more youth this week yeah, in the game. So you're getting yourself right. like, when, when was my peak period? <laughs> when was my uh, time to sign? But that's just that's just the industry. It all happens pretty pretty quickly. But yeah, you're certainly coming to that, you know, those early years at the Giants, with a feeling of needing to step up as a leader.
0: Yeah, so I was going to ask you, when you guys came to the club as experienced players, was there, how do I say, a requirement to not only perform on-field, but also educate and mentor the players off the field?
1: Yeah, and and it wasn't so much getting up and ramming it down their throats of what what you need to be doing. It was just about doing the right thing at the right time and and setting a good example. We learned so much from just watching other people and and understanding that as a player, and and certainly older players now, we're still educating them that understanding the influence you can have on a younger player just by your actions and, and just how you interacting and conducting yourself around the club the the education and and what young players take out of that so it was more just around us doing the right thing and the right actions and dragging someone else along to do it with you it was merely the extent of it that was that i saw in it anyway yeah and then and then just getting the balance right with with everything um, away from the club it was a young playing group that was quite a social bunch and you know a really important part of relocating and, and going to a new club is building connections Socially, we're just getting that balance right between getting to work Monday to Friday and having the balance right of, of time off.
0: During your time at the Giants, you only played the five games. What was the reason for this?
1: And I reckon they were probably all pretty early in my first year.
0: Yeah, they were so, all in 2014, yeah.
1: Yeah, so a, a big, big summer, Twenty, you know, leading in the 2014 season. You we know, was playing some good footy early, and then, obviously I we had a lot of talent that was coming through. Dave a couple of games early. And then for the rest of the season it was just on the fringe, which has probably been my career in a nutshell. If, you were, if I was going to write a book, which would a pretty short one, it'd be on the fringe, be probably the, <laughs> the title. So yeah, it was just more just around on the fringe a bit in the in the back half of the year. And then unfortunately, in the, in the end of that off-season leading into 2015, I had OT as a 28-year-old, which wasn't ideal. So yeah, missed out on the pre-season in 2015 and didn't get up and running until midway through the season. and for that stage, it was pretty clear it was going to be lights out. Yeah, it was about putting time into what was next and yeah, capitalising on, on an opportunity in the off-field space.
0: Before we get into the final stretch of this episode, we need to take one more break here for three-quarter time on A5Q. Now, this podcast is partnered with Pete and Pedro, the kings of men's hair and beard grooming. The days of the caveman are now over, gentlemen. We all need to keep on top of our hygiene, cleanliness, and style. Unfortunately, most chemistore products do not really achieve this efficiently. If you want high-quality results, you need high-quality products. Pete and Pedro, established in 2013, offers premium hair and beard grooming products and tools that will actually get in there, moisturize, rehydrate, and clean your scalp, hair, and beard thoroughly without burning a hole in your wallet. From shampoos and conditioners to hair gels and putties, beard oils, combs, brushes, and even nail clippers, Pete and Pedro has it all. Now, I would never promote or partner with a brand I did not use or trust. Guys, I've been using Pete and Pedro products for years now and can confidently say there are no better hair and beard products on the market. Gentlemen, if you are looking to take your grooming game to that next level without breaking the bank, do yourself a favor and check out Pete and Pedro. And if you use my special discount code, Diamato10, spelled damato M A you'll score yourself an extra 10% off on what is already a great deal. The link to Pete and Pedro is down in the description below. But for right now, let's get back to the show. (sighs) One game that you did play for GWS that I would love to touch on, Round 1, 2014... In my opinion, I still think that's GWS's best home and away game ever. All the talk was about Buddy Franklin, who was almost certain to join the Giants at the last second he goes to the Sydney Swans, and no one would have ever expected GWS to beat Sydney. Can you tell us about that game in your memories of, of beating yeah. beating Sydney for the first time?
2: Trouble here. Kennedy should get and get going. to Jenner. Kicks instead of using his pace. Franklin, there's his first, and maybe within range. Boy, he takes on. Up. He's within range now, on the left. Oh, nobody does it better. Scully on hands and knees. Shovels it out. Patton tries to use his body. Canelio! <laughs> Scores are level. Should they dare to dream? it behind towards goal for greater western sydney by the other kennedy that's right they are in front hush the kick looks good gws look good still three minutes 20 left but slaps it down reed runs clear touched ricochet frost a miracle will happen remember where you were for the first time, little brother hammered big brother. They have given their all, oh, tackle. played out of their skins, the Greater Western Sydney players. Patton, oh, he can run in, open goal. They're not just going to do it, they'll do it in style. You're going to hear a big roar shortly. Miracles do happen. The GWS have beaten the Sydney Swans for the first time ever. And Leon Cameron's first game as an AFL coach is as a victor.
1: Yeah, that was pretty cool. That was, yeah, as you said, first game, 2014 season. It was a bit of weather that night. It was lightning and thunder, and the game actually got, or nearly got cancelled. It got postponed, I think, at maybe quarter time. We went off the ground. Oh, really? For a good, probably, half an hour, I reckon and no. then came back on for the for the second quarter i don't remember that. Was hitting the, the lights and whatnot so it was, a, it was a crazy night but yeah yeah we we just everything just clicked and we've probably we probably um, jumped them a little bit being the start of the season and you're right that all the talk was the swans and buddy franklin coming to us and then and then obviously moving to the swans bill davis has done some really good jobs on him over the years we've had a good battle those two Did a really good job on on buddy again yeah, we got over the line. It was, um, yeah, it was a pretty special tonight, obviously for the club as a whole, beating Big Brother. It's a big part of our history, and as I said before, like imparting that those small moments of our history over the last twelve years for the new players and staff that come on board, it's, it's a big part of, of the club. But that was certainly a, a big chapter in our in our club's history, is beating the Swans for the first time.
0: So your time at GWS, do you feel a sense of pride to see the club now become? successful in the following years, so i mean unfortunately they didn't quite get a premiership but prelim finals in 16 17 slight step back in 18 and then a, a grand final appearance in, in 19. do you feel that you personally had an impact in perhaps fast tracking some of the younger players development that led to that success
1: yeah i think we, we all can and that's that's probably the extension of that is players and the, and the staff you know, um, led by leon as a head coach we had a really good staff group that come through then that was together for a long time that was with the guys when they were younger, a lot of, the, a lot of those players when they were young to where they were in, in 2019, so it was a special eight, nine years for the club and, and there was a lot of people that played a big part in that. Yeah, personally, I don't think it was anything too major as I did, but obviously being around for a lot of that era as a player and as, certainly as a welfare and player development manager played your part, but a large part of the work is certainly done by Leon as, as a head coach and what he could do with the playing group and how he was able to get the relative the talent together, playing the way they were, Grand of footy was was something that he um, that he done really well.
0: And when you knew that it was time for your career to end, how does a professional athlete come to that realization?
1: Well, for me, it was just this opportunity that come up. Yeah, the opportunity I wanted to wanted to jump about, that. So it was more just about just yeah making the call that I wouldn't have been signed for the next year anyway, from a playing perspective. So it was a pretty clear cut for me. Opportunities there, let's apply for that and. And go through the process of that opportunity and make the call, but yeah, it, it was pretty clear-cut for me from both the performance perspective and body perspective. It was yeah, obviously having op the twenty-eight year old wasn't ideal. So body was pretty average. We had a heap of young guys coming through. that Was playing some really good footy. Opportunity wasn't going to be there. There was an opportunity off field. It was pretty clear-cut for me. So easy call. Yeah, so I don't even, I don't even reckon I had a conversation with the list management or anything like that or or GM at the time it was
0: just pretty self explanatory really May I ask what your emotion was like 2016 prelim final we've already sort of touched on it a little bit but GWS Mm. versus the Bulldogs obviously the Bulldogs get through by one goal and then the the week after they win a premiership what was your emotion like during that week for the prelim starters but then to see your old club get to a grand final and, and be successful
2: This will be a fierce
3: start Can't wait
2: ready to go here, prelim, final 40, spotless stadium, GWS, Western Bulldogs,
3: I've
2: been wanting to say this for as long as I can remember, the Bulldogs go through to a grand final, can you believe it, the siren will sound, a 55 year drought ended. the Dogs are in the grand final, wow, what about that? 20,090 days since their last grand final, and the dogs have made history, the big dance with Sydney, unbelievable.
3: The opening bounce, the MCG, cauldron now, it's on the line and away we go, opening bounce of the game, he misses, but they don't miss out, their day, their year.
1: Yeah, it was, it was oh, the week was certainly exciting, and I think about guys like uh, obviously Leon, the, the head coach, was involved in the, the Bulldogs in that era as well. So missed out in the Prelim Finals, and Ryan Griffin at the time was playing with us and was involved in the, at the Bulldogs at that time. So two weeks before we'd just beaten the Swans and had the week off. So you know, on paper everything was looking um, really positive, and against you know, the old dogs, home Prelim Final, it was a really positive week. It was a cracking game of footy. I was on the bench at the, playing a role on the bench at that game, and so you're sort of you're not really engaged in watching watching the game. You're sort of doing a thing, and then the game sort of ended, and it was certainly a bit of emotion and sadness from from the playing group. Whatever on on the siren, I remember Jordan Ruckhead copped a bit of a poke in the eye, so he was on the bench at the dogs at the time, and he came over and congratulate, or you know, I congratulated him and he took hands, and he was. I could just see the the joy in his eyes, and and some of the other staff members from the dogs that were on the bench that I'd been involved with over the years. And as much as it was, I was really really torn because I was trying to console our boys that were that were gutted at the time and and shocked and and whatnot. And then, but I couldn't help but just see the emotion that was on the field from the playing group and staff, and then you know the walk around to the, the race and seeing the emotion in the from the Bulldog supporters, and personally having a bit of understanding of the history and, and how special that win was for the football club. Certainly, personally, there was a bit part of me that thought, see, that's, um, that's that's something pretty pretty special for that footy club. And yeah, certainly was cheering them on and wishing them well for the for the week following. But yeah, it was a tough night for, for our boys. Certainly, but a new experience for him. You know, first final series and making a prelim final and being involved in a game like that. There was certainly a little learning to come out of it.
0: Dylan, just as we are about to close up, throughout your career, and you you mentioned it earlier, you were sort of always on the fringe. So perhaps you could say you were always twenty first, twenty second man, and you were in Wish and I out. We had of, a sub back in the day. Yeah, yeah. You know. um, <laughs> was that frustrating though to to never really solidify yourself in the best twenty two? Apart from you know maybe two thousand eight, two yeah. thousand twelve. Yeah it was
1: yeah yeah and then probably this stringing games together like you mentioned there playing twelve games here and there, but it was never twelve games trade. It was come in for a couple of games, back out again, come in for two or three, back out. You know, it was probably getting continuity in my games has made it more difficult for me. So yeah, that was probably the biggest challenge, was getting that continuity. And yeah, and then as, as, as you do get it, it's, as I said before, there's a bit of luck in it. When it does come around, you got to maximise and capitalise it, capitalise on it and make the most of it. So yeah, it was a little bit, a little bit frustrating, but that is what it is. It's, yeah, I, I certainly don't have any regrets in terms of like how I applied myself physically to the game and preparing and, and what I did out, out on the field I certainly felt like I had a genuine crack. So yeah, that, there's a lot of things you can't control in, in this industry, which pretty basically you just got to control the controllables and see where it takes you.
0: And throughout your career, you were a medium-sized forward and you, you had a reputation, certainly I remember you, for being pretty fearless, hard, head over the ball. Do you think playing the game that way, does that come naturally to, not necessarily just you, but does that come naturally to a player or can you be taught to play with that sort of courage and tenacity?
1: Good question. But certainly every player has their strengths and weaknesses and there's no doubt that the players probably have more comfort and confidence in the, in the physical nature of the game. And, but I don't think it's certainly not something that can't be taught or learnt or there's no limit with that. But it's probably just more exposing yourself to it probably blessed that I was able to get exposed to the real physical side of it, playing senior football as a 16, 17-year-old. So I was exposed to it early, certainly held me in good stead. When, when you're coming into the game, into the AFL environment, never played against grown man before, and you're 18, 19 and you're experiencing it for the first time when it's Barry Hall <laughs> in a practice match, you're in the deep end then. But yeah, certainly I don't think it's the, the competitive side of it. I think that the players that get drafted nowadays are pretty ingrained in terms of competitive nature and as i said before the analysis that goes into it there's not too many players that come into it come into the system nowadays that aren't exposed or open open for the fight physically yeah but certainly thinking back personally being exposed early on certainly held me in good stead what
0: was it like coming up against barry hall
1: well obviously i was only ever in intra-club games i remember we used to do boxing Mm -hmm. at at the club and we did some sparring and things like that, but no one would ever go against Baz. He just had to go in the bag by himself. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> um, yeah, but he was just uh, oh, he was obviously a pretty big man, but he was just quick as well. I think his speed was probably underrated, leg speed and hand speed and, and whatnot is that was the impressive piece about it. it. was not only competitive and big, he was he was quick as well. Yeah, and a good man. Big kid loved the practical joke, old Baz. He was a funny man.
0: that's the best and now just as we are about to close up now Dylan I've got three last questions for you and always end my podcast episodes with the last three questions in your entire career for both the Bulldogs and GWS who's the best player you ever played with and why who's the best player you ever played against and why and lastly who is the best coach you ever played under and why best player
1: played with I think probably Turner's Windsor Brownlow on paper they're pretty handy players Brad Johnson, as a key forward in his size and what he was able to do, and, and impact games, certainly think he was probably one of the, the better players I played with. And you know, I was a very impressionable young player at that stage. But as a, as a as a captain, the way he was able to rally the troops and, and motivate them, and he was obviously a player that would that would he'd follow his lead as well. The way he played as well, he was pretty pretty impressive impressive player. So Brad Johnson, I mean, he can't get past. Jessica Cameron probably the, the things he can do as well. So Brad Johnson and Blue between them and him and Jeze probably. Hardest player to, against. Oh I reckon I remember I had to do a tagging role early issue on in my career against Ben Cousins over and that, that wasn't fun. <laughs> I don't think I think it only lasted two quarters and just his work rate, speed and work rate and competitiveness. Yeah, that was pretty I remember you go to one contest and you go to the next one and then He'd be already off to the third and the fourth one and, you know, the leg reps is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And yeah, certainly his work ethic at that era, I think it was back in 2007 maybe. So he it was, it was just in his prime around that stage as a player. He was a handy player. And then best coach. Oh, no, I couldn't go past Leon and I guess the impact he's had for me as an assistant coach at the Bulldogs, to see what he's done at the, at the Giants for a long period of time. I think probably the most impressive thing about Liam, not only a great tactical coach and you know, a way he taught the game, but his ability to connect with players through care and empathy and honesty. A lot of coaches can get just get caught up in this is what I need to get done for, for the weekend and these are my players. He would engage with all forty odd players every week, every one of them individually, to see how they're going on and off the field and the way he's able to connect and build relationships and, and get the most out of players and people, probably the most impressive thing for me as a coach and I'm probably a little bit biased because i spent a fair bit of time with him. So yeah, he's probably my pick
0: of the coaches. Dylan Addison, it's been fantastic to have you on the show. I really appreciate your time and I wish you and the GWS Giants all the best for next season and also you personally with your family. Wish you all the very best. Thank you very much for coming on the show here today. No worries.
1: Thanks for having
0: us. And that is a wrap for another episode I trust you enjoyed this conversation and I thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and a review and I'll catch you all on the next episode of Amato's Fifth Quarter Podcast.